You're listening to the Music Interval Theory Podcast with TC and Frank. Hello and welcome to just another fantastic episode in the Music Interval Theory Podcast. Today's episode is all about the orchestration and in particular how to achieve that great and epic sound that relies heavily on the brass section but obviously also on the strings and woodwinds that provide some strong lines and decoration around it. So let's jump right into the discussion. I have a question to Mark, to all you guys actually, a lot of this what you wrote, Mark, didn't establish a third tonality, uh, major or minor, and kept it open. How common is that practice in uh, doing epic kind of uh, sounds? Is that a common thing to uh, do for an epic piece, to omit the three? I will say there is no specific rules. I think the most uh, important in epic music is to develop power and contrast and um, not using the third um, open a lot of possibilities because you don't know where you are. And the fact you don't know where you are is more, I think it's a bit more easy to handle in um, epic music. Yes, uh, not always we can say get rid of the, the third. But uh, without the third, uh, you let uh, yourself open possibilities to go everywhere. I mean, it's, it's not because the third is a strong indication of a tonality in a way. That is really part of storytelling as well. If you look at most of the TV shows and how they end a scene in terms of the scoring, usually it's a five plus five or a two plus five since you don't want to leave the audience with, well, this is good or this is bad, since at this point where you are watching an episode, you don't know how things will reveal themselves in the future episode. So you want to have this open end. And, and that is interesting. You hear this two plus five or the PCs of that very often in that context. I always have the excuse, well, I don't know how I want to turn the story. So I just go with a two plus five. And usually the, the director also goes with that, uh, since he, he likes it if you leave things open. I wanted to ask to Mark and also to bounce back on what Daniel asked also. Is a six trumpet often used and is not a bit too much six trumpets in the orchestra? It's a part. If you are writing for an orchestra, and uh, this orchestra will say is um, especially a, a Sophia orchestra, I don't know, or in the S or the Prague. And you know, they have four trumpets, they have to hire more people. It depends. You have first to know that is another story. Perhaps it could be too much. But if you go to the Hollywood orchestra on a studio or a studio uh, said, I need six trumpets, I need four trumpets. There is no special rules. I, I wanted to have a uh, six trumpets there and four bones. And uh, uh, it was a personal choice because I said it will change the power. Let's say the string sections depends of the number of people. Uh, let's say if you have 60 string, strings, it won't sound the same as if you have 20 strings. Even if there is only strings, the more strings you have, the more there is a change in the sound. But if you have a three, four, five trumpets, the sound won't change. It's, uh, 
Let's say if you have a, a small big band and uh, three trumpets, one trombone and uh, four saxophones, you will hear brass and it's a power which will change, not so much the sound. Then uh, I'm not afraid to write uh, six trumpets. Why not eight? So there is sometimes you have a big fanfare. You know, uh, I know Alexandre uh, uh, written something for the Olympic Games in France. You can handle as much as, as you need. Don't be afraid. It's too much. Uh, but as you are right, it can be overwhelming, but a lot of unisons for the strings and uh, for the, uh, the woodwinds to, because it's hard to compete with so much brass. I uh, mainly look at your score with all the counterpoints be uh, between all the instrumentation, all the colors. I didn't look so much the trumpet itself. Did you double most of the time making three sounds yes. and double? Yes. Uh, I've Not so much six chords, six not chords. No. Uh, no. Okay. The difficulty um, is when you write for it's NP3, It's be between real orchestra and samples. It's not real samples and uh, they don't react the same. For NP3, when you have a big Dublin sound, I did that to have power. But I think perhaps, I'm not sure I would put six trumpets in unison. Uh, uh, it will be too, too much if I had real musicians. I mean, for unisons, you know, then uh, I could arrange. I know, you know, when you are in orchestra, You can say, uh, you can listen and say, oh, it's too much. Just get rid of three trumpets. Three trumpets is enough. But two trumpets is not good because the tuning, three or four, you can have four yeah. trumpets unison or three trumpets, you know, six it could be a bit too much. But if I did that for the unisons um, in MP3 to have big song, you know, because the research in MP3 and real orchestra is close, but there is a slight difference. Let's quickly have a listen at the trumpets here, because now that we are talking about this, let me play you. Here it says one and two and then three right here, but obviously that is three trumpets, that is three trumpets. Yes, it's right? three, so, and you have, oh, when I say not two trumpets, I mean when you have a unison line. Mm -hmm, of course. If you have a three and three, and they, uh, you have a two double, two double, two double, you know, like six. It's, yeah. You have less issues, and it's not, uh, it's not in the high range that it works. After they, they separate, after the second bar, they separate because yeah. in higher range, it's don't put two, two trumpets in the, uh, in the same uh, range. I mean, but exactly. on the first bar, you have no problem having two trumpets on each note. Yeah. So let me, let me quickly play the trumpet section here. As the trumpet separate and contrary motion. And then also here, that is all unison. <laughs> Still in minor. With the minor sound. <laughs> oh, great. But, but also in, in terms of the production, don't forget that most of the times you have overdubs of the sections, which means um, the strings usually get recorded twice at least, all of the strings parts. So the first violins play their part at the recording session, then the first violins play the second violins parts and vice versa, so that you can use those things without any phasing issues if you want to make a section sound thicker then that is common practice to record all of those things twice well, at least. Well, first things I've done with orchestras, but not in Epic because Epic is a bit different with big song. 
is to have uh, the first uh, shot uh, of the first recording with the section and the second recording in dubbing with mutes. With yep. mutes, yes. And it's a great song, is uh, doubling this word. If you have uh, 60 strings, it's better than to have 30 strings and to record a second time 30 strings. It's not completely the same. But also picking up on the number of brass instruments, I just remembered an interview, and I will find the link, that Hans Zimmer gave about the Dark Knight. And he was talking about having, I don't know, six French horns on the balcony to the left, six French horns on the balcony to the right. And on stage, he had also like 12 players, whatever. Obviously, he used these different places for the overall sound so that you could hear the sound from everywhere and you could not really find one spot that was the source of the French horns. And this was yeah, a production thing as well, I know. But um, talking about a lot of brass players, I don't believe there is a limit really, especially not in trumpets, horns or trombones. With tuba, chimbasso and those instruments, I'm not quite sure if you really need six tubas. I don't believe the sound will become better. I really think you will lose point yes. and probably one or two of those tuba instruments, this is plenty. This is enough. You don't need six but guys it, who... Boom, boom, boom. I, I, I just make a comment about that. First of all, with the trumpets, uh, very often in opera, you get the you, you get a stage band where there might be three or four trumpets as well as the the players that are in the pit. And I mean, obviously, that's you know an opera. You know that that's because they want the sound coming from the wings, but you know, on the subject, Frank, of the of the low of the low brass, Planet of the Apes, the the remake. Daddy I think they're using ten contrabass trombones. I think that's kind of from that point onwards, the contrabass trombones started becoming popular again. They've had to start making them because nothing gets that level of menace like the the contrabass because we because we're in tuba register. But it sounds like a trombone, still a cylindrical instrument. It's got that edge and that menace that you that you actually can't really get out of a tuba. But um, they were using, I think, ten contrabass trombones, the most fantastic sound. Do you uh, know if they process the sound heavily, or was this really just I, recorded? Well, this, this, as I mean, I don't know because it was it was in the orchestra. It wasn't uh, when I saw it. You know, I think there may even be a YouTube video of it, but it's. Doesn't look like it's an overdub, particularly. Or have a look at the Mad Max um, movies, the the new ones also, where, well, who's the guy? Tom Holkenberg. He also used, I don't know how many brass instruments, trombones. I, I, I and there is no rules, as um, the question uh, you asked, um, Olivier. But it depends on the money, <laughs> the production, and the director, many, many things. But you know, when I wrote the, the piano concerto, I tried to make it played uh, by your orchestra. And the guy said, yes, but you, you wrote six horns, you wrote for six horns, but it won't be possible because there is only four horns. If you can, it could rewrite for four horns because uh, they won't pay to have two more guys to play uh, the piece. You know, it depends. You have to, to know for whom you are working with, you know. Dennis Bray. And they were doing the premiere. I can't remember which uh, Benjamin Britten piece it was. They were doing it, I think, at the Festival Hall in London. And it starts off with the with the French horn playing off stage. 
And from what I gather, they actually positioned him in the car park. And he was standing there with his French horn with his white tie and tails. And some policemen came up to him and they said, hey, you know, you, you can't play that thing here. There's about to be a concert. He said, no, I'm, I'm part of the concert. They said, sure. And they handcuffed him. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> and he still managed to play the instrument. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how that thing managed to resolve itself, but, but who cares? You know? <laughs> wow. With brass in particular, I also think um, you can be very creative, not just in the writing, but also in the production later. For example, Inception. This was, again, Hans Zimmer, but one of the sounds that I really truly remember was this fall down of the brass that, you know, go an octave lower or something. It was originally a rather small brass section that they recorded and then, you know, put a ton of effects on top of that. But yeah, great idea, of course. So what, whatever you want to do. Make one comment with regard to what you said earlier about giving the musicians something to do. I did once have a violinist say to me when I, when I showed him the score of something that we were going to be recording. He said, look, you know, the violas are doing nothing there. Why don't you just pile them onto what the, vi the violins are doing for more power? And, you know, ever since that's exactly what I've done. But the, the thing that I want to mention is as, as a trombone player, like your comment, I wish you had mentioned that to Beethoven. <laughs> as I recently did uh, Beethoven's fifth, and you only come in in the last movement. And we actually played so little, they didn't, they, they wanted to pay us less for doing the concert and we threatened to to walk away from it if they tried that. But actually it was really fabulous listening to the, you know, listening to the symphony. And Beethoven is really hip. We'll forgive him for that. But I think it's true that like one should always ask the musicians afterwards when you've written something whether they enjoyed their part or not. Mm. And it's a good sign if they do. And what you were saying about looking at the, you know, the individual sections and seeing whether it was interesting enough for the players. In actual fact, what I often do with Sibelius, I go to the part. And very often it's when I go to the actual part, like the first violin part or the bassoon part, where that's when I see all the mistakes, all the sort of, un, you know, like the knots that need to be tied in the part. That's how I do it. So I, sometimes you don't see it in the, in, the, in the full score. It's not as glaringly obvious. Yeah, well, most often I don't see it in the in the full score. That is also why, well, in most cases, I, I do use Cubase and not Sibelius when I orchestrate, which means I use a lot of color coding inside the key editor so that I, you know, just look at those different colors and understand by looking at all of those MIDI notes or MIDI lanes that uh, some of the parts stopped abruptly and they don't continue playing. And it's not very nice for the musician to treat it that way because it is too complex for no reason. In most cases, you won't hear it clearly in the score because it's buried with whatever other instruments. But still, those are the minor differences that I believe separate good writing from mediocre writing because everybody can jot down some notes in Cubase or whatever DAW or music notation program. This is not a skill. The skill is to organize them on the paper so that it all makes sense when you listen to it. And this is something that absolutely, Mark, you have mastered. And I, I truly enjoy doing these, these sessions. And also when we have a real gig, of course, you are the go-to orchestrator. 
So whenever something comes in, we make sure. Mark, are you available? <laughs> we need the orchestra. You know, well, I, I'm seriously thinking about writing to Sibelius because I think that what would really be a valuable upgrade to the software is if, if it were possible to record voice notes. Because I find, you know, when I'm writing, to stop and describe what I'm doing is actually a pain in the ass. Like it would be so much easier just to hit a hot key or something like that and record a voice note in that, se in that section. Because, you know, what you're saying about, you know, you come back in three weeks' time and you don't remember what you were doing. Yeah. It would be so much easier if you could just create a voice note and finish and then listen to it. It wouldn't get in the way of the whole creative process, which yeah. I find describing what I'm doing, you know, because by the time I'm finished describing what I'm doing, I've decided to do something else anyway. So That is true. I think for writing your passing tones, you have to purchase chat DPT. <laughs> Jet DPT. This is this is actually a very interesting name. Why not? <laughs> Chat DPT. Yes. This podcast is powered by the Music Interval Theory Academy, your resource for getting clarity and confidence in music composition and orchestration. See you inside at musicintervaltheory.academy. Academy.